It's time for episode 217 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November 29th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's gone in a little more than 60 seconds. I am your host, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the interwebs by the one and only Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Micah. How about yourself? I'm doing so peachy. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, Yay. It's singing, so you must be doing well. It's a great day to welcome some awesome guests. To my left is an editor and all around uh, just fantastically cool person, <laughs> editor at Mobile Nations. It is Lori Gill. How you doing, Lori? I'm doing very well, thank you. Glad to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yay, happy to have the rock star here. And to my left, it's our very own co-founder and the co-host of, literally, I'm looking at his list of podcasts, and it is too long to Don't name look. all of them, uh, Connected, The Pen Addict, etc., etc., Mr. Mike Hurley. Hi, Mike. I'm making my triumphant return to Clockwise. It's been a long time. Uh, well, you all know how this works. We've got two guests, we've got four topics, and we've only got 30 minutes, so I am going to kick things off with the first topic. Uh, a Black Friday deal that the Wirecutter had put out certainly called my name and uh, got my money for a robotic vacuum cleaner. So my little buddy's been going around and, and cleaning up my uh, dining room, kitchen, and living room area each morning, and it's been pretty fun. I am curious, uh, is there anything that you wish was robotic, or do you already have a robotic vacuum cleaner and love it? Lori, we will start with you. I had a robotic vacuum cleaner. It was sort of one of those non-brand versions, and it failed me significantly. I ended up throwing the thing in the garbage. <sighs> I didn't even give it away. It was such a pain in the butt. Um, so I, I was sorely disappointed by the robotic vacuum, though it was an off-brand. I, I have a feeling if I got one of the better quality ones, I might have a better experience. Um, if I were to have anything robotic, I would have a robotic coffee maker. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean, you know, I hit a button on my app and it brews the coffee. I want something that will grind the beans, put the, the coffee in the filter, wash my coffee cup, put the cup <laughs> under the, <laughs> under the, the drain and then brew it for me. And you know what would be nice? I'd like it to bring it to me too, yes. so that I can just keep doing whatever I'm doing. And my coffee is just sitting there for me hot at any time I need it. <laughs> Lori, I'm 100% with you, except just for coffee sub tea. But uh, basically, I'm, I'm on board with that. It sounds like I think what we both need is a robotic butler, uh, yes. which I've been saying for years. And one of these days, somebody, maybe Elon Musk or somebody will actually build a robotic butler. Because that's the thing. There's just too many tasks that you want to done by a robot. So like Lori, I got, I got a hand-me-down robotic, uh, the Scuba, which was made by iRobot, which is essentially the idea of being a floor-mopping robot, because I hate mm. mopping the floor. Uh, the one or two times I used it, it not only did a terrible job at mopping the floor, but it got itself wedged under a cabinet. <laughs> and it's like, then I had to walk <laughs> over a wet floor and extricate it which just made everything worse so in the future my robotic butler will be able to remove my robotic mopper from under the the, the cabinet and then everything will be right with the world and it will bring me a cup of tea so 
yeah, robotic butler, all purpose. That's what I need. I have had my eye on a Dyson robot cleaner for a while. And I mean, I've I've never really looked into robotic vacuum cleaners in any way other than this one. And the the price is like eye watering. It's like eight hundred pounds, which seems like an incredible amount of money to spend on a vacuum cleaner. But I have a I, I love Dyson products. So maybe one day I will get the. It's called the Dyson three sixty i, and it just looks so cool. It like has its little home and it goes out and cleans around and comes back. It looks very nice. There is one thing though that I would love to be robotized and and i i believe that there are products like this but none of them have really seemed to be good enough for me i just want like a little robot finger that can just switch things on and off Uh, a a long finger i like it just like a little just it just turns things on and off because that i feel like the ability to have just a little robot finger uh would solve basically every home automation problem i have in my house i just want would, to put little robot button pushes on everything would it be a hand or just a finger because like with a hand you could have it like actually mm. turn on the water in your bathtub or something the like adam's that. family oh yeah okay <laughs> it needs to be a robot hand uh, <laughs> but not like adam's family style like i don't want it running around the house uh well, i just well, want to be able get to get anywhere mike <laughs> A well, I, I would just buy lots hand. of robot hands. Just lots of robot hands all over the house. That's all I, I want. I never want to go to your house, Mike. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, there are a bunch of hands yeah, moving I, around on the wall, I, like waving at you. I live in a robot in. shop of horrors, unfortunately. <laughs> but yes. And there's the title, a robot shop of horrors. Uh, I love everybody's answers except for the hands because that's creepy. <laughs> Um, I could maybe understand the fingers, but also kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that yeah, if, if there's anyone that I would pick other than the vacuum, which I'm very happy with, I would love to have, and they make these, um, a robotic uh, lawnmower. And that's because I have that a really bad... That sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't trust how, in that. How, that's how could that go scary. Mm, I have a really like bad that. grass allergy. And mm-hmm. so if I choose to mow instead of paying some third-party service to do it, I have to wear like a big old co- full coverage suit and put on like goggles. It's ridiculous. So I don't ever do it. But if I had a, a, a robotic lawnmower that was safe uh and i could i could trust it then yes that's that, that's exactly that's like, what let's I would just do. give one of mike's robot hands like a bunch of knives <laughs> <laughs> one of them already has it because he has to have one to cut like vegetables and things whenever he's making meals uh oh well thank you all for your answers Lori. let's go on to your topic so my topic is about nintendo specifically and it's um dive into the mobile gaming world um uh Animal Crossing Pocket Camp just came out very recently last week, and um, it's kind of polarized the gaming world. There's a camp of people who think that it's absolutely adorable and yet again another great addition to the mobile gaming world from Nintendo. And there's another camp of people who think that it that uh, this particular game is just a pale comparison of what Nintendo has done with the Animal Crossing franchise on console or or on um, handheld console like the DS. Uh, my question for everybody is, do you think that Nintendo is doing it right by making a mobile game that is not a full console game, but it's similar? Or do you think that they would be smarter to just stick with their full console games and get out of the mobile industry? I... 
I would really like to see them embrace the mobile platform as a more full-featured platform. Um, Super Mario Run, I did play, uh, and I enjoyed it for what it was, um, but it did never felt quite like a real full exploration of the Mario franchise. And obviously, they're doing much more complex things with like Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, po- I never got into the Pokemon craze, wasn't really my jam. Um, it seemed like in the end it was going to be just kind of like a fruitless endeavor running around collecting digital things. And that, that wasn't really what I was looking for. And I've had sort of similar vibes from what I've seen people talking about with the animal crossing game. Um, mobile gaming has developed to mean uh, something I feel like very specific in terms of, I feel like so many Mm -hmm. of the games on that platform have been designed to be, I don't want to say time wasters, but yeah, kind of time wasters, right? Like there's a lot of things like, oh, you got five minutes, you know, go feed your animals or go Mm -hmm. play a level of Super Mario. I'd really like to see some uh, Nintendo bring its really high level um, platforming games like, you know, Zelda and the like to uh to something like the mobile gaming because I, I really feel like that would help bring mobile gaming to the next level. And right now it feels like it's a little stagnated at that time wasting genre. Mm hmm. I love you, Dan, but I have to disagree with everything. So, um, I think that the the success of the Nintendo Switch means that mm-hmm. Nintendo have probably made the exact right decision in partnering uh, with Dina, the company that is making their mobile games, because what they're doing is they are making mobile games for everything that we know them to be. Um, they are not, and I think in a, in a in a good way, then they're, they're not these games that have virtual stick controls, which I mostly don't enjoy. Mm. They are keeping their full games for their now incredibly successful, continuing to be incredibly successful new hybrid console. Um, and I think that doing what they're doing, love it or hate it, on mobile is probably what's best. The one thing that I hope that they do, and they've they've given some hints to this, and and I think that it was the last kind of shoe to drop for them, is to find ways to integrate the mobile games with the console games too. Like I had this idea that you would collect coins in Super Mario Run and then you could somehow use them in something like Super Mario Odyssey. Like I think that that's the next step. Um, But I don't think that at the time that the mobile games were being developed that the console games were at a point where they were able to add features into them. And I think that that's going to be the next step for Nintendo. Like, I'm interested to see what wave two of their mobile games look like. But love it or hate it, all the like, IAP transactions and the timed gates and all that sort of stuff, I think that's probably what they should do because that's how you make money. Yeah, I, uh, I absolutely agree with uh, Mike there. I think... Um... And Nintendo certainly should not get out of this game at all. They should keep pushing into the mobile space, and I, too, am interested to see what comes next. Um, I love uh, the – I've like, of all the gaming stuff out there, I'm not, I'm not really a gamer. I don't keep games on my phone. I don't really do any of that. But if I, if I play games, it's typically Nintendo stuff. And I have really been enjoying – Animal Crossing, um, because it's a game that I have loved, you know, ever since I started playing it ages ago. And uh, I've really been enjoying Pocket Camp. And I do not like to spend money on microtransactions, but good golly, has <laughs> Animal Crossing Pocket uh, Camp gotten me to spend money on these stupid bell uh, <laughs> tickets or leaf tickets, whatever they are. I am ashamed to admit that I have uh, tried to speed things up a little bit with making friends by buying them. So I think Nintendo, <laughs> Nintendo certainly has something here in that it's being 
it's releasing games that are like other games that are out there right now and sort of fitting into that space. But what Nintendo has always been really good at is thinking outside of the box. And because they don't have the, you know, the, the, the big, huge, uh, sort of vocal, we need everything to be the best that it can be and have the best graphics. They can think out of the box and do some really cool things. And I'd like to see them do that on mobile. So round two, I'm looking forward to. I, Dan, I'm sorry, you're the odd man out on this one, because I definitely agree with Mike and Micah on this. Um, I think um, Nintendo Switch is a perfect example of their ability to mesh full console and mobile, and their additions to the mobile sphere for phones, for Android and iOS, for example, I think what they've done is they take what already exists, they take a, a auto-run platformer, and they tweak it so that it's a little more advanced. It has some additional features that really make it a great auto-run platformer. Same thing with um, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. They took a simulation time-based game, they tweaked it a little so that it fits in the mobile environment better, better so it's familiar to mobile gamers and it also has all the familiar characters to the console players. I think um, some some of the polarizing issues is that the console gamers want 16 gig, $30 games for free on their phones. And that's that's just not the way the world works. But I think we can we can have a bit of the best of both worlds by having what Nintendo offers, which is not just a new skin on the same game but a slightly adjusted version that's a little more immersive, a little more interesting to the average mobile gamer. Um, so that's, you know, I'm looking forward to the future of Nintendo as well. I guess I'm, I'm just old. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent. Well, that's the first half of the show. Mike, I think we're going to have to start a radio show called Mike and Mike and Mike and Micah in the morning after uh, Lori said that. Uh, <clears throat> let's go ahead and hit up Halftime, uh, which is brought to you this week by our friends at Linode. Guess what? Linode has fast and powerful hosting options that can get you set up in seconds. Their tools are easy to understand, and they let you choose your resources and your Linux distribution giving you the power and flexibility you need. Is what Linode plans now start at just five bucks a month. That's it, five bucks for a Linux server with a gig of RAM in the Linode cloud. We've got over 400,000 customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, you can call them, you can chat them, you might even be able to send them a messenger pigeon, I'm not entirely sure, all there in the Linode community. And if you need help, Linode are there for you. Linode's control panel is a beautiful Beautifully designed with a focus on ease and simplicity. It lets you deploy, boot, resize, and clone in just a few clicks. We've got comprehensive guides and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know for setting up and managing your virtual servers. We've got two-factor authentication, which is very important. It's going to keep you safe, and you can create snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. We've got the power you require as well as the infrastructure and assistance and security that you want. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. You can get a server with a gig of RAM for just five bucks a month. And guess what? It goes all the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for just 60 bucks a month. Across the board, Linode is offering twice the amount of RAM you're going to get elsewhere. As a listener of this very show, if you go to linode.com slash clockwise, you will of course be supporting us. You're also going to get $20 towards any Linode plan. 
With a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. You can also use the promo code CLOCKWISE2017 at checkout if you prefer. Thanks so much to Linode for supporting this show, and let's move on to our topic from Dan. So there were some patents that came to light the other day, and as often happens with Apple patents, you know, they're kind of a little bit pie in the sky, but these were related to gesture-based computing for a desktop or laptop computer. Uh, there's been a lot discussed about this in past years, but as we've the times have changed and our ways of interacting with devices have changed, my question is, does such a thing appeal to you? Do you think it's likely? Mike, what are your thoughts on gestures? I think it's likely someone's going to try it. Um, I, I don't know if it's likely that it will take off. I will say that, you know, I use a form of gestures on my preferred computing device, which is my iPad Pro, all day, every day, right? Like I'm moving my hands around on the screen and I'm doing stuff. And I am a fan of virtual reality environments as well. And, you know, there is an element of gesture base when you're working and, well, playing games and those experiences. I think that virtual reality, mixed reality, uh, augmented reality, all of these things are continuing to grow. So I think it's possible. I think it's possible that someone's going to try it. Honestly, I don't see it being Apple first. Um, I think that we're going to see more of this from Microsoft first. I'm willing to give it a go. You know, I want to go Minority Report style. That's the dream for everyone, right? Um, I, I would be willing to try it. I think it could be fun. But I think for the majority of things that I do with my computer... I would be moving my arms more than is necessary. You know, I don't need to edit a podcast via like some kind of operatic conductor method. Um, <laughs> but I'm willing to give it a go. I love that. Uh, and I, I don't want to do that either. I like the sort of small and very precise movements that I'm able to do uh, with a trackpad or with a mouse and uh, sometimes with a with you know like a wacom wacom tablet um and when i'm obviously using my phone or an ipad or something like that i'm using my finger all these seem to be more precise than trying to uh flail these giant tentacles on the ends of our <laughs> on either side of our torsos <laughs> to try and like do these precise movements i could just see that causing a lot of uh stress with with your muscles and potentially lead to stress injuries and things like that i could just see everyone sort of very tensed up and trying to make that little cursor <laughs> move all over the screen and it just seems ridiculous so we do already use, especially if we use a trackpad, we're already using gesture-based computing. It's only, in my, in my mind, it's only going to be slightly different than that. It's going to be in midair instead of resting on a, on a pad. So I think, I think I'm interested in, in the future of gesture-based computing. As long as we're not talking about, you know, some sort of Tom Cruise swiping across the <laughs> entire room to 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 get to the new window, if it's real simple simple movements that are sort of uh, more natural, and that's that's something that I'm sure Micah also agrees with. When I first started using the iPhone 10, I immediately felt more comfortable with the swiping movement instead of the mm -hmm. button movement. And it was amazing how my brain just immediately clicked with that gesture movement. We're not going to see a lot of like t trying to, you know, manipulate these tiny movements while we're Photoshopping pictures or things like that. But I think it, it, 
it could be a hybrid of both where you can use gestures to kind of open new screens or tap midair to click on something. But then when you need the more precise tools, you have your your mouse or your trackpad to kind of take you to the next level. Yeah, I agree that it's it's one option in the arsenal, but not necessarily replacing everything. And I also agree that it's about smaller movements rather than sort of the exaggerated things that we often see in, in movies and <laughs> science fiction films. Um, to Mike's point especially, I think that augmented reality and virtual reality are places where this is going to be incredibly important. Because if you're dealing with virtual objects already, which I think a lot of mixed reality slash augmented reality stuff is doing, then you want to be able to interact with those. And it seems more likely to me that people would like to interact with those in a gesture-based situation than using a controller or something like that, which I think can be a little more dissociative. So the idea of using an interface that is virtual and it's in front of you and that it looks like, you know, if you're wearing like AR glasses or something and it looks like you're interacting with a virtual um, a virtual set of controls, that, that feels like it could be more natural than trying to use, say, uh, more tactile physical controls while you're dealing with virtual objects. There's a, there's a bit of a disconnect there. So I am extremely intrigued to see what happens there. I don't think we'll be using it necessarily for the same like desktop and laptop computer interfaces that we have today. Uh, but I think that there's uh, there's exciting stuff coming down the pike there. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to our last topic today, which comes from Mike. I'm going topical on this one, everybody. <laughs> if you find a huge security bug in an operating system, what is your duty do you have to report it directly to the company in secret, or is it okay to tweet about it? Ooh, okay. This has some, obviously, I don't, I don't think there's any, unless I just haven't come across it yet. Maybe there's some secret organization that comes and karate chops people if they reveal these things. But I don't think there are any officially written rules on, on this kind of thing. So I think it's more of a moral duty uh, in many cases. And in my humble opinion, if I were to come across a gigantic, horrible uh, bug or a, a way into the system, um, I would not want a bunch of people to be in danger of having their data exposed. And so the choice that I would make would be to contact the company. Now, in the case where a company is negligent, or a company says, oh, yeah, we've got that under control, we're going to release an update, and you check back in and they haven't done it in six months, I think at that point, it is your moral duty to share that information with the public source, which then forces the company to take action. Uh, but up to that point, I think that it's not cool to potentially expose other people's data just because you found something. Again, I'm trying to think of what would be the motivation there. Maybe it's just like, oh, I want to take credit for this. So I'm going to tell everybody about it now. And then I'll tell the company afterward. Uh, there seems to be a right way of handling it, in my opinion. And it starts with trying to contact the company. I 100% agree with Micah on all levels on this one. I, I understand the the desire to make everyone aware that there's a, you know, security risk, let's say, and, and it's everybody's got it. And you, you know, there's something needs to be done about it. But at the same time, when the moment you tell the world about this security risk, you're also telling all of the, the not so great people who want to take advantage and exploit that. So by letting everyone know that there's something wrong with their, you know, iPhone or their their PC or something like that and then not following up with a a solution to the problem I think is 
it's a disservice to everyone because you're first making everyone, including the bad guy, aware of the problem. And then you're not helping anybody fix that problem right away. So if you, if you let the tech, co- tech company know first, privately, that tech company has the chance to quickly fix that problem immediately within, you know, 24 hours, if, if possible, before it becomes a big, open, horrible situation that everybody knows about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I could put that any better than Lori and Mike have put <laughs> it. Um, I, I, there's certainly no duty to, to report it privately. There is no codification about this. Uh, I think this all comes down to a matter of courtesy. And I do think, uh, for all the reasons that Mike and Lori r- laid out, trying to privately contact companies and report these things is uh, probably the right way to go. Um, it just is safer, uh, and it seems to me to be a courteous thing to do. And obs- absolutely, if that has no result and people are left unprotected, then then publicity is the way to go. Um, I think that's that makes perfect sense to me. So I'll just say I agree and leave it at that. Yeah, it's hard to argue, but I will you know just devil's advocate for a moment. Like it, it, obviously, I'm bringing this up in regards to the Apple root security Mm -hmm. bug which has now been patched the the the, the, i guess if you call it a benefit the benefit with going public on it rather than private would be i mean one it probably get fixed a lot quicker once it's out in the open um as fast as something can be fixed but when it becomes a pr disaster it will go even faster than ever before and also if there is a particularly egregious and really kind of unacceptable bug in the core security of your operating system being held accountable for that in the public arena will make you change more probably than you would have changed if it was private once it becomes a huge huge issue you're kind of held a lot more accountable for it and if the mistake never really ever ever should have been there in the first place by the world knowing about it it kind of forces you to make significant changes where maybe you might be a little bit more keen to just kind of keep it secret otherwise. I think that's uh, that's well put. And I think those were four fantastic topics. We have reached the end of the episode. Uh, we're going to hit you up with a bonus topic. But first, let me tell you all about LinkedIn Learning, which now features lynda.com content, the leader in online learning for the past 20 years. LinkedIn Learning is for creators, for the curious, and for those who want to advance their career. Maybe you want to learn how to shoot raw or work in low light or sharpen your photo editing skills. Well, everything you need to achieve more is on LinkedIn Learning. Their gear courses will help you get the most out of your camera, from DSLR to mirrorless to even your smartphone. And then, To help you enhance what you shoot, there's complete coverage of Lightroom and Photoshop. And LinkedIn Learning works closely with Adobe to release updated courses the day new versions are released. LinkedIn Learning has courses for all experience levels, covering a wide range of technical skills, creative techniques, business strategies, and more. And I personally love LinkedIn Learning for that lynda.com content library. In fact, just last week, I was checking out Motion 5.3 Essential Training, because I'm trying to brush up on my motion graphics skills, because that's That's the way the world is going, with lots of videos and things like that posted on social. With a LinkedIn Learning membership, you can quickly find the right video course for you from their extensive library, all featuring transcripts. You can learn from industry experts, you can explore curated course recommendations, and use project files, that's my favorite thing, and quizzes. All courses are structured so you can learn from start to finish or jump around and watch bite-sized segments, and there are no hidden charges or upsells, that's my other favorite. You can access all the courses you want, all for 
one monthly price. It's available worldwide and on any device, and we here have a special deal for you. You can get a free 30-day trial with LinkedIn Learning today by visiting linkedin.com slash clockwise. That's linkedin.com slash clockwise for 30 days to learn whatever you want. That is a lot of time to go through that whole library. Our thanks to LinkedIn Learning for their support. My question for all of you is, if you could make any mythical or pop culture creature real, which would it be? Lori, we'll start with you. There's a movie called um, Turbo Kid, and the female character's name is Apple. And she is every, she's your best friend. That's that she is an android who is built to be your best friend. And she is absolutely the most adorable thing in the world. And I want her as my best friend. Uh, I'm going to pick a similar sounding one, but slightly different. And that is the creature Appa from Avatar The Last Airbender, <gasps> which is a giant flying sky bison. Because <laughs> oh who God. doesn't want a giant flying sky bison? Come on. Uh. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I need to like find something called Oppa. Like I don't, I don't know what to do. Uh, I am not a huge pet person, but for some reason, I find oh, the the anime, like the the cartoon cat Pusheen, to be one of the most adorable <laughs> things on the planet. Uh, so Pusheen would be my would be my choice. Wow! I now I wish I would have chosen Appa. Yep, yep. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with literally any good Pokemon. Uh, probably oh, Pikachu. Yeah. Right? I right? changed my answer. Changed my answer. <laughs> right, Mike. I like Micah's answer more. <laughs> All right, we have reached the end of the episode. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests, Lori Gill. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Mike Hurley, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. Dan, it's the end of the episode. We made it again. Indeed. We'll wrap up November in style, but we'll be back in December. And until then, remember, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.